0: Today, I'm gonna deal with the glory of God. I started thinking about this a while back and didn't know really where it was gonna go. Then when I started studying, then I was even more confused because what I thought I was gonna study wasn't really what it was, to my surprise. But um, hopefully, it all comes out good and it's all clear and plain. And I truly hope that God gets the glory out of what we We get today. Coincidentally, he's speaking on the glory later on. I'm sure our take will be completely different, as it always is. Um, So we'll see. But for so long, people have always talked about the glory of God and, you know, what does that really mean? God's glory? How is it manifested? What is the true definition of his glory? Because it seems so abstract. And sometimes we you know, like we want it, but what are we really wanting in that? So that's what I've tried to, what I'm going to try to convey to you guys today. Um, but the glory can be defined as beauty, power, or honor. It is a quality of God's character that emphasizes His greatness and authority. Again, it's defined as beauty, power, or honor and it's a quality of God's character that emphasizes his greatness and his authority. So the word is used in three different senses in the Bible. I'm gonna hit all three. Firstly, God's moral beauty and perfection of character. This divine quality is beyond man's understanding. If we look at Psalms 113, four through five, It says, God is higher than anything and anyone, outshining everything you can see in the skies. Who can compare with God, our God, so majestically enthroned? Again, that was Psalms 113, 4 through 5. The next thing that's dealing with his beauty and perfection is the fact that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. If we look at Romans 3 and 23, it says, since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory, which God bestows and receives in the message translation. It says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living this glorious lives, God wills for us. God did it for us out of sheer generosity. He put his he put us in right standing with himself a pure gift, he got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. So since we have all fallen short, if we get hooked up with Jesus, we get placed back into the glory of God that was there from creation, the one he destined for us to have, and this is why the cross and the resurrection is such a big deal. Because without those two aspects, we never could have gotten back into God's glory. If we can accept the plan of salvation the way he laid it out, that enables us to step into the glory of God. He did all this just so that we could have his glory. The second reference of glory is God's moral beauty and perfection as a visible presence. While God's glory is not a substance, At times, God does reveal his perfection to man in a visible way. Such a display of the presence of God is often seen as fire or a dazzling light, but sometimes as an act of power. Some examples from the Old Testament are the pillar of cloud and fire, which is Exodus 13 and 21, the Lord's deliverance of the Israelites at the Red Sea, Exodus 14 and especially his glory in the tabernacle and in the temple. If you look at Leviticus 9, 23 through 24, it says Moses and Aaron entered into the tent of meetings. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of God appeared to all the people. Fire blazed out from God and consumed the whole burnt offering and the fat pieces on the altar. When all the people saw what happened, they cheered loudly and then fell down, bowing in reference. In 1 Kings 8 and 10, it says, when the priest left the holy place, a cloud filled the temple of God. The priests couldn't carry out their priestly duties because of the cloud. The glory of God filled the temple of God. I believe he's probably going to deal more with the Old Testament thing, because that's not really my thing. And y'all know I stay in my little bounds where I'm supposed to be. So. Maybe he's gonna touch that a little later, but this is, I'm gonna keep going till I get to where I'm a little more comfortable. But wouldn't it be amazing for us to see a cloud of glory just fill the room? Like to visually see that. There's nothing that says he can't do that today. You know, but if you think of the order of what it says is that as he consumed the whole burnt offering and the fat pieces, now we kind of went into the fat earlier with some of the earlier retreats and you know that's our stuff that's our stuff that we have to lay on the altar that's our sins that's our motives of sin that's our junk that we have to put there for God to burn up I think one of the reasons why he does not consume us the way he consumed them is because we don't put our stuff out there enough and I am going to touch on that a little later. But I think we're so into, and I think he said it last night, us doing our thing. That we rarely come in just with no agenda and no plan, and just like, okay, God, do what you want to do. So because we fill the room with ourselves, God has little room to bust in. I would love to see that take place, though. That we were completely in God's control. That everything that we thought we were going to do that day didn't even get done. Like, what kind of craziness would that be? So, back to what I was saying. Since the Old Testament, the close of the Old Testament, the glory of God has mainly been shown in Christ. So, we can see all the uh, instances of glory in Christ. If you look at Luke 9 28 through 36, now we're still dealing with God's moral beauty and perfection as a visible presence. God, I mean, Jesus is now that visible presence that is being shown to us. So Luke 9, 28 through 36, it says about eight days after saying this, he climbed the mountain to pray, taking Peter, John, and James along. While he was in prayer, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became blinding white. At once, two men were there talking with him. They turned out to be Moses and Elijah. And what a glorious appearance they made. They talked over his exodus, the one Jesus was about to complete in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Peter and those with him were slumped over in sleep. When they came to, rubbing their eyes, they saw Jesus in his glory and the two men standing with him. When Moses and Elijah had left, Peter said to Jesus, Master, this is a great moment. Let's build three memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He blurted this out without thinking. While he was babbling on like this, a light, radiant cloud enveloped them. As they found themselves buried in the cloud, they became deeply aware of God. Then there was a voice out of the cloud, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. When the sound of the voice died away, they saw Jesus there alone. They were speechless, and they continued speechless, said not one thing to anyone during those days of what they had seen." Now, when, when was the last time that we walked out of a service speechless? Like, we couldn't say nothing. We just like, nothing. But the part that I like a lot in verse 34, It says, while he was babbling on like this, a light, radiant cloud enveloped them. As they found themselves buried in the cloud, they became deeply aware of God. So while in the glory of God, they became deeply aware of God, it is when we enter into his glory that we become deeply aware of who he is. And that awareness, God always promotes his son, Jesus. So how do we get to know God in an intimate way that will be individualized for each of us? It is for us to step into God's glory, to get enveloped in the glory of God to where he can then touch us and talk to us individually so that we will be deeply known by him and we can deeply know him. Christ also now shares his divine glory with his followers. John 17. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Reveal the glory of your son so that he can give the glory back to you. In essence, reveal the beauty, the power, and the honor of your son so that I can give it back to you. For you have given him authority over every man and woman in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, by knowing you and the only true God, in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to. This is how Jesus brought God glory, by doing everything he told him to. And now, Father, reveal my glory as I stand in your presence, the glory we shared before the world began. So bind us together again in the union we had at creation. But now we have a special honor because we have now atoned sin. And this so beautifully speaks of the oneness of the Father and the Son. If you jump down to verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory you gave me, the glorious unity of being one as we are, I and them and you and me, all being perfected into one, so that the world will know you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want them with me, these you've given me, so that they can see my glory. You gave me the glory because you loved me before the world began. How beautiful is it that he wants us to see his glory. He wants us to be as unified with him as he is with his father. Can you imagine what that kind of glory looks like? For us to finally get so unified with Christ that we are in the same unity as the son and the father we would never step out of the presence of God then. We would never know what it is not to be unified with him. And this is what he's asking his father. This is before he went to the cross. This is my prayer to you. Father, this is what I need you to do for the people. Because I love them the way you love me. And I need them to have the glory so that they can see that you love them the way you love me. Now, none of us could deny how much the father has to love the son. But we want to somehow deny that they don't love us that way. That's why the apostles were so speechless. They saw that visible manifestation of the glory. What can be said when the glory appears? If you go back to the last verses I read when they said it entered the temple and the the priests couldn't do their duties because it was just too much. This is what he wanted us to live in. Not just have a little touch of it, a little glimpse of it now and then, but to live in that. Christ never lived without the glory of God in his whole existence on earth. They were always together. But we get excited over one touching of glory, of seeing it just once, and we're like, oh, God, at least, least we saw it. But he's like, no, I want you to stay in it for forever. The crazy thing to me is that God wants to give us this, and we prefer to stay with man's anointing, with the fake stuff that we conjure up and make up, because we can create our own stuff. So we've gotten so into the false stuff that the real Jesus stuff, we've completely missed, and we don't even long for it. So we need to ask God to show us his glory so that we can know him more deeply and that we can finally get to the place where we never are satisfied with false anointing again. If he can get us to the place where only the pure presence is acceptable, we could change some things that we do. I think we could touch way more lives. More people would be drawn to Jesus if we could do this in a way where we weren't faking it. Because you got people coming in all the time knowing, y'all saying this is something, but I ain't really feeling much. Like, I'm not in awe of what you're doing. I'm not in awe of his presence. I don't feel nothing there. Everything we should do, people should be able to touch it and say, dang, that was something. I don't know maybe what it was, but it was something different. Now, there's a reason why he shared his divine glory with us. And it was so that we can be transformed into the glorious, Second Corinthians, three and sixteen. It says, "Whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit." That old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Why do we want stuff to be between God and us? Why do we want the obstacles and the extras? God wants to deal with us face to face, and we keep throwing everything to block this personal interaction. He wants to transfigure or revolutionize us like he did the Messiah. And we are saying, please let us stay these sorry selves. We want to stay fleshly and sinful. Let us keep our traditions, our rituals, our sins, and our foolishness in the way so we don't have to become like Christ. He wanted us just to have one-on-one contact with him. And we've put everything and everybody in between that contact. He said he was the mediator between us. And what do we do? We threw everybody else in between with him. And this is why we lose connection This is why we keep saying, well, where is he? Why hasn't he come to us? Why don't I know him like that? He says that he wanted me in this personal, intimate relationship, yet it's not that. We have more intimacy with just our fellow humans than we have with Christ. And we should be way more connected to Christ. I mean, he created us. He's sustaining us. He's breathing in us. We have his spirit in us. Why don't we know him more? Because we keep throwing everything in between. Don't you want your face to shine with the brightness of God's face? To live this free existence with nothing between you and God? We must desire to be brighter and more beautiful as we let God into our lives. But like I said last night, Change has to take place for this to occur. It's not going to happen with us staying the same way. So lastly, believers will be fully glorified at the end of time in God's heavenly presence. There, the glory of God will be seen everywhere. Now, the third aspect of glory that is mentioned in the Bible is praise. At times, God's glory may mean the honor and audible praise which his creatures give to him. Psalms 115 and 1. It says, glorify your name, not ours, O Lord. Cause everyone to praise your loving kindness and your truth. Yet I think sometimes we want God to praise us. We want him to honor our name. We're not saying, don't give me the praise. We're saying, look, I've done this. I stopped this. Praise me. And we stand up, and we try to be the spokesperson for Christ, when Christ is quite capable of being his own spokesperson. If we would just promote him, what he said, what his word says, and keep it as simple as that, people wouldn't get so confused. People are confused because we throw too much stuff in the mix. we promoting our own stuff our way. This is how it has to be. Just give people the scriptures. Trust that if God is calling someone, he's going to open up their understanding. He's going to give them direction. He's going to show them. It may not happen on your time schedule. But if they're gods, they're gods. I think we forget the scripture that says, one plants and one waters, but God gives the increase. Let him increase when he's ready to increase. When we think that God should promote us, we are really just slapping in the face the death that he went through. To suggest that we should have the same honor as that, because we stopped doing a couple of things, and because we say we saved, and that we come to church on a weekly basis. Hmm, he got forsaken by his father, went to hell, had a little scuffle with the devil, to take back the power, and we got the nerve to think we should be on that same platform as Christ a lot of nerve it really is for what have we done for Christ when we list oh I stopped doing this I stopped lying I stopped doing this you ain't done nothing for him that's for you you stopping the sinning and all that's for you It ain't. you're not doing nothing to big woohoo for him but we're like oh look at me And we got the nerve to get self-righteous over that and try to condemn other people. And then in that, we think he owes us something. Because I stopped doing what he asked us not to do, now you owe me. I mean, really, how crazy is that? That's like me saying to my husband, well, because I didn't cheat on you last night, you owe me. Well, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Don't get props with stuff you're not supposed to be doing. We really need to ask God to forgive us. We're so far from what he really wants. And then we got the nerve to be so arrogant. We're so arrogant with our stuff. You know, like churchgoers, the good Christian folks, they're the most arrogant people always acting like they got so much more than the non-Christian folks. When really we probably about the same. The sad thing is we got a little more knowledge, so we should be acting better, but we act about the same. And We're not that much different, and that's why they don't be fooling with us thinking we got nothing to offer. That's why. Because we stand there on this pedestal saying, look how wonderful I am. Look how great I am. Well, you're going to hell. Well, you know what, we may be right there next to each other. I mean, come on. Because we know our lives are not all perfect and together, so why do I have the right to stand up and say, "Oh, you're going to hell, judge you, condemn you"? When I need to point the fingers at myself, how about I just say, "This is what I found out. This is what I believe the Jesus to be. I can give you some scriptures that took me where I'm at, and I'm gonna trust and believe that God's gonna do the work in you that He needs to do." But what do we do? Condemn, berate bash people. And Jesus never did that to the people when he was on earth. He was a kind gentleman. Shame on us. Now, this last part I thought was very interesting. But we get so accustomed to saying little quotes and saying little stuff and not knowing what it really means. The phrase that says give glory to God is a Hebrew idiom meaning confess your sins. Now, we stand up, praise God, give glory to God. Glory. And we're supposed to be confessing our sins when we say that. So you got the song leader and the preacher yelling out, give glory to God. And what do we do? Shout hallelujah. Get to dancing and prancing and speeding up the music. Man, I bet if we knew it said that, we wouldn't even be saying give glory to God. We'd just be like, because <sighs> I ain't confessing nothing, at least not out in the open. If you look at Joshua 7 and 19, now we know a little about Achan because of Mr. Andre over here. (laughs) And he gave his lessons about the tent and the secret things and the stuff under the tent. If y'all haven't heard that, you should get it uh, because that's an interesting one. But it says in verse 19, It says, Joshua spoke to Achan, my son. Give glory to God, the God of Israel. Make your confessions to him. Tell him what you did. And don't keep anything from me. In Jeremiah 13, verse 15, it says, Oh, that you were not so proud and stubborn. Then you would listen to the Lord, for he has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before it is too late, before he causes deep and darkness to fall upon you so that you stumble and fall upon the dark mountains. Then when you look for light, you will find only terrible darkness. Do you still refuse to listen? Then in loneliness, my breaking heart, shall mourn because of your pride. My eyes will overflow with tears because the Lord's flock should be carried away as slaves." So we've missed a huge part of glory by not confessing our truths. We think by saying give glory to God is enough for God to put us in the right stand. We have run from true repentance for so long that we have not only offended the sacrifice, that Christ made but we have falsified his glory into jumping and shouting when what he wants is truth and honesty he said to worship him in spirit and in truth we want the spirit but we don't want the truth we want to see God manifest his glory but we don't want to do what is required to see the glory. And see, we get into this thing of the truth, meaning the plan of salvation. Now, do we need the plan? Yes, that was nice of him to give it to us, for him to say these are the steps it takes to get the entrance into me. That was kind. But what about past that? How dare we, and I'm speaking of us good apostolics, put God into one little thing of just Acts 2.38, just the baptism, speaking in tongues, the oneness, okay, that's all truth. We stand on it, we won't jump away from it. But what about the bigger, the bigger truths? I mean, he wasn't talking about just truth of doctrine, but he was talking about the truth across everything. So that means that you can't come and worship me when you're full of deceit that it's not received. Now y'all can come, and you may shout your hallelujah, and you may take a lap around the building, but I don't receive it, because I require true worship to be in truth. So what have we been doing for all these doggone years? All that we think we're giving to God, he has not received it. God, that's shocking. And then we have to take heed to God's warnings and the sadness that he feels when he has to fulfill the warning. I think we don't realize how emotional God is, that we've made him not this, just this abstract being of spirit and taken these emotions away from him. But he is sad when he has to cause harm to us. It breaks his heart to say these that I love so deeply, these that I have given every opportunity to get it right. I have done everything possible for them to find me, to put them in right stand with me where I will never have to harm them. But I cannot just get rid of my justice and my righteousness because the people don't want it. I have to still stand on my truth. Like we want God to bend his own truth for our foolishness. That's never gonna happen. Then we say he's a mean God. And what kind of God would do that kind of stuff? What kind of God would create a hell? What kind of God would punish me because I don't want to follow his way? Well you know, he is God. I mean he did create the whole thing. He has a right to have some rules and regulations. We got rules in our lives. We got things that say, if you violate this, you got to go. If you do this to me, I don't think I want you in my presence anymore. Why can't God have the same thing and not be seen as mean? Why can't we say that he's done far more than we've ever done for anyone? He loves us greater than anyone could ever love us and has put so much on the line for us just to get it right. Like he could have just said, you know, Adam and Eve, y'all just had to go and foul the whole thing up. So I'm just leave the whole human race to itself. Because really, he had enough with himself. He's pretty content just being the Jesus by himself and, you know, sitting up there in the throne and doing their thing. He was content. He was kind enough to say, let me include some people. He could just have... The birds and the trees and all that stuff, because they always praise him. They don't fight back. He tells the waves to move where they want. They just listen. When the wind want to blow, he just say blow, it blows. When the rain's supposed to fall, it just falls because he says fall. Us, he tells us to do something, we got to talk back. Well, why? Can you explain yourself? I mean, it's like, geez, I ain't putting air in your lungs every day. I am keeping your heart beating every day. And you have the nerve to question me. Yet, I'm just so in love with you people. I wonder if he sometimes say, why do I love these people like this? I done lost my whole mind. But he's like, but I can't stop myself. Like, I really, really want you. I really want you in heaven with me. I really want to walk this earth with you. I just want you. So I'm going to do everything possible to get you. And I'm going to keep giving you chance after chance after chance and keep showing you and showing you and showing you. I mean, you think about 66 books. That's a lot of writings. And all of them go back to him because he is this word. So he's saying, I'm just going to keep writing. One of these little scriptures is going to catch y'all. Something is going to hit you hard enough for you to say, I want you back but we can never get so cocky to believe that he will not get us. His aim is not to get us. He would prefer not to get us. You know, that's why he came to seek and save those that are lost. But he has righteousness and justice that must be fulfilled. Okay, so he says, give glory to the Lord your God before it is too late, before he causes deep impenetrable darkness to fall upon you so that you stumble and fall upon the dark mountains. Then when you look for light, you will find only terrible darkness. Do you still refuse to listen? Now see, now all y'all that heard this, he's asking y'all, do y'all still refuse to listen? Then in loneliness my breaking heart shall mourn because of your pride. Now imagine us saying, no, I'm not gonna listen. So we have the God of creation sitting there mourning over my pride. My eyes will overflow with tears because the Lord's flock shall be carried away as slaves, bound again. What I tried to free you from, I gave you this spirit and this knowledge and this revelation for you to be free. But because you refused to give me glory and confess your stuff, you get to be slaves again. How sad. If you look at Luke 9 and 23, he says, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you, your soul? If any of you is embarrassed with me, And the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor, in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen. See with their own eyes the kingdom of God. Now see, like I said, he was kind enough to say this is what you can expect. Before you jump in, and I think some of us should have took a pause before we jumped in. Maybe read a couple of things to say, what does this really entail? But what we promote is an emotional rush. So we have these services orchestrated to get people's emotions flowing. Put fear in them. Make them run to the altar and say, God save me. Where I think if we would educate people on the scriptures... And let them really choose Christ. Really choose him for who he is. I think you would have far less people walking away from God. But we sit there and do the emotional pull instead of just giving God time to work. You know, it's like we think if you don't get saved like today, God's going to come back and you're going to just go to hell. Well, you know, he got a plan. And you don't get to choose when he comes back. And you don't get to choose who gets saved before he comes back. So if they're supposed to get saved, he's going to wait until they're ready. He's going to work them up, and then he's going to save them. Chill out. Now, we know he can come at any moment. I'm not denying any of that. Could he come right now? Absolutely. But he has a work that he has still has a plan. You know, it's a scripture, and I can't remember where it's at. But it says that he's holding back for us to get ourselves ready. I'm holding back my own glory. To give you guys time to get ready. Calm down. I want you with me. I'm not in a race to hurry up and get you into hell. You know how much work I did to get you to heaven? Foot, I ain't trying to make all that just disappear. I would like to have my stuff be a little productive. What we need to do is make sure we're using our time wisely. That we are getting ourselves ready to get to the kingdom. And I mean, I believe in witnessing and all that, but we need to be working on us. We're doing a mad dash to get everybody saved and we they're going to be saved and we're going to be lost. Second Corinthians four sixteen. But wait, I got something else to say. Back in the other scripture I was in in the loop part, where he says <laughs> that we have to let him lead. That means that we have to give up our will. We have to say that I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. And that's why it says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Because he kind of knew we didn't know what we were doing. So he was like, listen, if you could just find me and ask me to direct you, I can help y'all out a little bit. And we like the self-help, you know, especially in today's society. We have promoted self-help so much. And y'all know what I do. Y'all know I believe in helping yourself and, and, and working your stuff out. But you can never work yourself out without the help of Christ if you know Christ and you want him to be a part. Now, if you don't really care about the Jesus and you want to do your own thing, the self-help stuff works just fine. You could have a very content, peaceful life right here on Earth and, you know, it's up between you and God where you're gonna end up afterwards. I don't judge folks and say where they're going. But he's saying, your self-help ain't gonna get nowhere with me. So you're gonna have to lay yourself down and start sacrificing. Same way I had to sacrifice myself. Remember, he was supposed to be our example. We're supposed to follow after him. So we have to watch how much he sacrificed himself. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself like Christ sacrificed himself? Because we keep saying we want to be like Jesus, but we only want to be like him for a little bit. When it comes to the sacrifice part, we like, well, can't you hold that by yourself? Because wouldn't it be sad to get all this stuff going and think we're doing things and then really lose our soul in the end. That would be sad. That's a waste of time. That's why we have never we can never get arrogant. Because we have to always remember that at any moment we can mess up. At any moment we can fall. I mean, you know, sin is just a touch away from us. Just a touch. Remember, sin just missing the mark. So whatever mark God had for us, if we just get a little off of it, we've sinned. But that's why the mercy and the grace is so amazing that we've played it down just a little too much. But it's so amazing because that is what's keeping us. So like when we do sin, then grace and mercy just covers it. If I can confess it. We just be hoping on the grace and mercy that's new every morning to just cover it. Without the confession, don't work that way. Second Corinthians four and sixteen. It says, "Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away; yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary, excuse me, troubles are achieving for us an external, eternal glory that far outweighs them all." So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I'm going to read that in another translation. It says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though the outside often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. And we have to always remember that heaven is the ultimate prize. You know, not an escape route, Not something that we just like, oh, hurry up in heaven so I don't have to deal with life here. But that that was just, you know, the icing on the cake. That we were supposed to have the whole cake here. And I think the reason why he's holding back some glory is because we just got a couple of eggs and some flour, maybe a little milk, but we ain't mixed it up and baked it yet. So the cake is just incomplete. He's trying to get us complete before heaven takes place so that he can just say, ah, look, this is what you got. All the work you did, all the effort. Like your labor is not in vain. But we got to still labor. We don't want to labor sometimes. We must let God lead us instead of us trying to lead him. Our time with God needs to be refocused. We have put so much on us and what we need that we have turned away from just blessing God. That our service has been constructed around us. And I do believe that we have to tell God our needs. I talked about that last night. And scream what we need and we have to ask him for where we we are uh, impoverished and when we're blind. But we cannot always make everything be about us. That if we really want to see the glory of God, and we really want him to envelop us, for us to be in that cloud, to see and to feel him more deeply. And some we have got to refocus ourselves and put it back on him. That, I mean, don't we believe that he knows what we have need of, that he truly is acquainted with all of our ways, and that he already knows before we ask, and that he's gonna take care of us? Like, that's his pleasure. So why can't we give him some honor back? Why can't we give him some glory back? And say, you know what, we're not going to come today. It's going to be just about you. It's going to be just about us praising you. Not even for what you've done for me, but for who you are. Like the greatness of you, the whole plan you put together. Like that's what I'm going to focus on. Instead of me always standing in need. And, you know, well, look what you can do this for me. And, you know, and it's like we try to do a, a tit for tat. Well, if you, if you bless my finances, then I'll give you some praise. You heal my body, then I'll shout hallelujah. But it's always this exchange. When do we just bless him for blessing's sake? When he has blessed us just for the sake of blessing us. Because we've given hardly a thing back to him. We can't even just give a whole day to him. Somehow within that time, we gotta focus back on us. We're so self-centered. Just terrible. I think our lack of faith makes us think we have to constantly put ourselves on God's you know, face. Don't forget me. <laughs> Hey, wait a second, I'm down here. And you know, how annoying is that? Have you ever been with somebody that got to repeat self like 10 times? Like, dude, I got it. You asked me to do that, I'm going to do it. Okay. It's so annoying. But think that's what we do to God just like uh, every prayer. I mean, every prayer, you got to repeat the same thing all the time. I got you the first time. He's really not deaf. And I'm sure he's not forgetful. We have to trust that he's gonna do the thing. Now maybe not in our time, because you know, we want instantly. But he didn't forget. He is preparing the perfect time for you. The perfect time. Remember like I said last night, like everything is orchestrated. So maybe that thing that you want so desperately needs to be held back just so you can get a little more desperate for him. And then he will just throw it on you and say, see, that's all I wanted was for you to want me back. Now is the time to repent. Mainly for not making God number one in our lives. To tell God that he gets to sit on his throne and rest while we bless him. Just go have a seat, Jesus. You done done enough right now, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make you feel good. I'm always asking you to make me feel good, but this time, have a seat. Let me just throw my praise and my blessings and my worship on you. And then feel that, because I really do love you. Like, I really want you to feel good about the relationship we have. I don't want you to think I'm just a taker. And that all I want is to get your stuff. I want you to believe that I really love you back. And that if all we have is me blessing you for right now, that's gonna be enough. Cause I think we don't have enough gratitude for everything he's done. And we get a little forgetful about where we've got. I mean, you know, like everybody in here is over 30, right? We got all these years and we're still going. Like, we've had some rough times, but we're still here. I mean, and we, you know, have some semblance of sense. It eludes us every now and again, but, you know, we're not, like, locked up in a padded room. We got a lot to be thankful for. A lot to say, God, God has carried me through a lot of stuff. That... I get to just say more than just a thank you every now and then, but just to give him some praise and glory back? Didn't he deserve that? Doesn't he deserve to feel loved? We like always want him to make us feel loved. Prove how much you love me. But when do we show him that he is loved as much? That he doesn't feel like man, I did all this for these people, and they yet are to be grateful and to love me. Like, what more do I have to do? Do I have to make everything perfect in your life for you to love me back? You can't have one problem or then the love you have for me is gone? And I'm I'm inadequate once again? My sacrifice means nothing because you have a few bumps in the road. It's a little unfair. And I think, you know, I try to put myself in his shoes, though I cannot, but I have asked him to let me feel him, like his emotional side, of his pain and his sadness. And and he shows me his sadness often, where I've sat in services and just have cried because he told me I'm sad because nobody wants me. That all this running and jumping and bleeding for, you to, for me to bless them, but I no one wants me anymore. Like there was a time when I thought you wanted me. And that's so sad to me because he's so wonderful. To feel unwanted at times, and unloved, we've all felt unloved before, and unwanted. It's like one of the worst feelings you could ever feel. But for us to make God feel like that, that's so sad. And how do we break that to where we can see that he hurts? Like he's not this person that is untouchable, but he has feelings and emotions and desires, he's real. And that's what I, I pray for people to be able to feel him. Like when we do something that's against him, you feel his sadness that you hurt me. Not I'm gonna get you, or I'm gonna throw you in the pit, or I'm gonna make your life a living hell. But that thing that really hurt, and I think if we could switch it to that, that he becomes this real thing in our lives, and we say, "Ah, I hurt you, like you're crying now because of me, I think we would stop doing so many of the things that offend him, that it becomes much harder than to just walk over him. Because obviously the fear thing, it hasn't worked. Because you know, it plays after a while. Hell is so distant. Eternal life is distant. You're living every day right now. So the threat of that, or even the joy of that, it's not touchable enough. We need to make God more tangible. And if he can be tangible in our lives every day, we will be far more accountable to him. So you need to see him as a real thing that has emotions and feelings and pains and sorrow that cries tears. Then before you do stuff, you know, dang, I'm about to wound you. That's what stops us from hurting each other often is I don't want to see the pain in your face. I don't want you crying and telling me how much I hurt you. So we're like, okay, I won't do that. But if we can just put that on Jesus, our lives would be transformed, our relationship would be transformed, and then we would have the glory. And we could step into the glory all the time so that every time we came together and every time we were at home, the glory would just be upon us. That would be an amazing thing So, if we can get to where we can just ask God to allow us to bless him and to reverence him and to honor his greatness, I'm sure he would sit down and let us do it. Try it at home and then bring it with you everywhere you go. Beautiful thing. And I'm finished.